So last night at what time was it? I want to get the exact time. 9.37 p.m. I tweeted, what if Elon Musk bought Twitter? Well, this morning I wake up and Elon Musk has purchased a 9.2% stake in Twitter. He is the largest shareholder in, in Twitter of, of all. He owns the largest. Even Jack Dorsey only owns like 2 or 3% of Twitter. Now Elon Musk owns 9.2% of Twitter. And so I, ha- I have a to-do list for Elon Musk when it comes to Twitter because as you know, I love Twitter. I hate the censorship. I hate the wokeness. I hate their arbitrary terms of service. I hate that they're acting like communists, but the idea of Twitter, I mean, I've been on Twitter since basically its inception, certainly since the beginning of conservative politics on Twitter, and it it should be, it should be a remarkable platform. They're ruining it. This is my to-do list for Elon Musk. First of all, buy all of it. I understand that you can only buy it in small pieces like this, that there's a limit to how much you can buy at once, but as quickly as you can, buy a controlling interest in it and buy all of it. Second of all, once you have once you have a controlling entrance, once you have power and shadow banning, I don't want my newsfeed to be populated with progressive tweets based on their ideology. I want my newsfeed to be, or my Twitter feed to be populated either chronologically or if there's going to be an algorithm, an open source algorithm, I want it to be because tweets are organically the most popular and that's why they're being shown to me. Secondly, or thirdly, I should say, thirdly, the trending topic section that comes with the, the ridiculous moments or the descriptions from Twitter staff, I want that algorithm to be open source. I want to know how those trending topics are curated because I don't trust that they're actual trending topics because oftentimes topics that you and I know should be trending are not trending and topics that I don't think are really that popular are somehow showing up in the trending topics. I want to see that open source, how that's curated. Also, stop with the misinformation warnings on tweets. I don't want to share, say, you know, just a hypothetical example here, a new uh, link from the New York Post about Hunter Biden's laptop. I don't want to share that and be told, are you sure you've read, you've read this article? Do you want to read this article before it's shared? You know, maybe you're taking this out of context. This could be a hot button topic. None of that. None of that. Stop with the misinformation warnings. Do not ban science whether it's science related to gender, whether it's science related to COVID, do not ban discussion. Do not ban science. Reinstate those who've been unfairly booted off the platform. I'm talking like Alec Berenson, Alex Berenson. I'm talking Dr. Robert Malone, President Trump. Unlock the Babylon Bees account. They've been suspended because they refuse to kowtow to the Twitter gods. They refuse to delete their tweet that was making fun of the transgender Rachel Levine, mocking him for, you know, being a biological man, and commit to free speech. If you do this, you will not only save Twitter from wokeness, save Twitter from itself, if you will, you will actually be playing a huge part in saving our country because as we know, you'll be saving us from big tech. Big tech and social media, I I, I can't fully condemn social media the way that some people do because I see the benefits that it has brought to our society. I see how before the censorship started, how communication was open, how people like me, I mean, I I literally got my start in politics by reading books to educate myself and then taking part in discussions with thought leaders and politicians on social media, on Twitter, gathering people around myself, other young conservatives maybe, who lived in completely different parts of the country, had different backgrounds, were doing different things, and we were all able to get together because of social media. There's a power, a tremendous power in social media that is a power for good. Now, this power for good has been co-opted by the radical leftists in charge of big tech, and they have tried to stop people like me from doing things that I did by censoring and by becoming the arbiters of truth, by becoming editors instead of just platforms, by becoming publishers instead of just platforms. 
But the, the thing is, this is not just unfair. It's not just unjust. It's not just a lower quality platform when there's censorship. It's also not just a violation of free speech in and of itself, because right now, Twitter is not viewed as a common carrier. Right now, they're not viewed as a utility. Right now, they are not viewed as acting as the arm of government, even though I know you can make all of those arguments, and I do. But right now, legally, they're not viewed as that. So it's not a direct violation of free speech. But what it is, is it's big tech serves as part of this trifecta where corrupt politicians, corrupt politicians behave in a manner that is, you know, corrupt, whether it's a financial conflict of interest, whether it's woke ideology, whether it's an anti-American government stance that we see from some people in positions of power, some politicians in our country, there are corrupt politicians. And if we, the people knew about their corrupt actions, then we wouldn't stand for it. They would have to be held accountable to the voters. And so these corrupt politicians, their actions are protected by big tech censoring the truth. Because as I said, if that information was exposed, if we, the people knew about it, then we wouldn't stand for it. There's a poll that said that even Democrat voters who voted for Biden, if they had known about Hunter Biden's laptop and all of the corrupt conflict of interest, the foreign entities, the quid pro quo, the pay to play, all of this stuff, when before they voted for Joe Biden, then they wouldn't have voted for Joe Biden. So big tech plays their part protecting corrupt politicians by censoring the truth, making sure that reality is not disseminated. And then, of course, the third part of this trifecta is the mainstream media swoops into that information vacuum created by big tech censorship, and the mainstream media propagates lies. They propagate their own ideology. They tell you, oh, don't worry, your children aren't actually being taught critical race theory in, in schools, which we know is provably, demonstrably a lie. But the mainstream media swoops in and propagates lies in the information vacuum created by big tech in order to, in order to protect these these corrupt politicians. And so Elon Musk is in a very unique position right now. I mean, almost $3 billion worth of shares of Twitter that he purchased in this 9.2% um, purchase of Twitter shares. He could actually change the course of the power for bad that we see right now being, I guess, the primary, the primary power of social media. And he could switch that to what it was originally, which was a power of good, a platform where people were able to discuss and debate ideas. It was the court of public opinion. And Elon Musk is in a unique position to do this. And I don't know, I'm very excited to see this. I hope that he continues to acquire more and more of Twitter. I hope he does the right thing. I hope he commits to free speech. This was all based, by the way, on a tweet of his from a couple of weeks ago, where he said, do you as Twitter users believe that Twitter is actually giving you a public platform where they respect free speech? Is this a good platform to have to engage in an open discussion and debate? And the vast majority, I think 70% of people said, no, it was not. And so he asked, should I create an alternative platform? And a lot of people, it wasn't just me suggesting to him that he buy Twitter. A lot of people said, yes, there is a need in our market for an alternative platform, but maybe even better than that, would be if you restored Twitter to what it ought to be, to what it was at the beginning. Because, you know, the, the, the problem with some alternative platforms is that it's, it, it can be an echo chamber. There's not the people that you want to interact with on the other side of the aisle who join those platforms. Or those platforms are cancelable, like we saw with Parler, by other radical leftist entities like Apple, like Google, like Amazon, whatever, whatever it may be. And so saving Twitter from itself saves Twitter for all of us, which also saves us from big tech, which allows us to expose corrupt politicians. So Elon Musk, please buy this in its entirety just as soon as you possibly can. All right, there's a lot to say about Disney, Disney grooming children that I wanna get into tonight or today, I should say, it is not night. I'm Liz Wheeler. This 
is The Liz Wheeler Show. I love Relief Band for two reasons. Number one, it's affordable, and I love that. Number two, it's natural. Did you know that one in three Americans suffer from nausea? Now, you know me, I'm pretty crunchy. I try to avoid pharmaceuticals if I possibly can, unless they're absolutely necessary, which is why I like Relief Band. Relief Band is natural. Relief Band is the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with a lot of things. How it works is Relief Band stimulates a nerve in your wrist that travels to the part of the brain that controls nausea. Then it blocks that signal to your brain that your brain is sending to your stomach telling you that you are sick. If you ever suffer from nausea, Relief Band is your solution. Like I said, the product is 100% drug-free. It's non-drowsy. It provides all-natural, long-lasting relief with zero side effects for as long as needed. Right now, there's an exclusive offer just for you. If you go to reliefband.com and you use my promo code, Liz, you will receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no questions asked 30-day money-back guarantee. That's the best offer you'll find for Relief Band anywhere. But you have to use my code. So head to R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D.com and use my promo code, Liz, for 20% off free shipping. Reliefband.com, promo code, Liz. Okay, let's talk about Disney. So somebody asked me this weekend what I thought of the Disney situation, meaning Disney coming out very strongly against the anti-groomer bill, the parental rights and education bill that Governor DeSantis has signed into law. And if it, they weren't asking me even about the political side of it, or I guess it was tied to the political side of it, but primarily somebody asked me if it made me sad that I was, you know, that I would feel the need to boycott Disney or that I wouldn't be able to share Disney with my daughter. And actually my answer to that was, it's funny because um, my mom was way ahead of her time when we were kids. I actually never watched Disney movies. I never watched Disney princess movies. I never have been to Disneyland I, I or Disney World. Um, I was completely out of, well, I don't want to make a bad pun here, but completely out of Disney World. And I remember one time when I was like six or seven years old, somebody asked me, I think it might have been one of my aunts, um, asked me what my who my favorite Disney princess was. And I remember being like, oh my gosh, I, I don't know in my head because I didn't know any of them. So I remember answering uh, Cinderella because I'd seen a live action play of Cinderella. I probably hadn't even seen the Disney version, the cartoon of Cinderella, but obviously knew Cinderella was a Disney princess. So I remember being like, uh, Cinderella, because that was the only one that I knew. And like I said, my mom was way ahead of her time. She had a problem with um, the incongruent symbolism regarding morality in Disney movies. That's even aside from the fact that we just didn't watch a lot of TV growing up. Um, we, we read a lot of books. We read a lot of books out loud. We went to a lot of plays, but we didn't, we didn't watch a, a ton of TV regardless. And she did have a problem with some of the symbolism in Disney. So from a personal standpoint, I guess, no, I, I was never really into Disney, but it was funny. Like I said, my mom, that was 30 years ago. 30 years ago, that's how far ahead of the culture wars my mom was. Here's the interesting thing about Disney making this decision. This, this is a very, and when I say making this decision, I'm talking about Disney deciding to just go full on against Governor DeSantis, full on against this parental rights and education bill, full woke, full transgender ideology, full gay indoctrination for all children. I mean, we saw the videos exclusively reported by Chris Rufo showing Disney executives promising to make 50% of their characters either 
either gay or a minority for the sake of virtue signaling, for the sake of identity politics, and talking about this, this queerness agenda that they've inserted into all their children's programming that they're not hiding, that executives know about. I mean, really, really insidious stuff, really pervasive stuff, really, really sneaky stuff and gross stuff that they're, that they're inserting into programming that your little kids are going to watch if you, if you don't say no to it. And this is different, I think, from what we saw when we saw Disney's decision regarding the Chinese Communist Party. So a couple years ago, Disney released a a reboot version of Mulan. And in Mulan, at the end, in the credits, they actually thanked the Chinese Communist Party. They thanked the propaganda department of the Chinese Communist Party. They thanked the region in China where the Uyghurs are in concentration camps where they are raped and tortured and killed and organs are harvested and forced abortions and forced marriages and just awful gut-wrenching stuff happening to this this minority group in China, the Uyghurs. They are are being ethnically cleansed by the Chinese Communist Party. And Disney at the time just, just ignored this. They filmed this movie nearby to where the Chinese Communist Party had Uyghurs in concentration camps. They thanked government entities that were actually in charge of this abuse of the Uyghurs. And they ignored this outcry in the United States when it came to questions like, why are you ignoring genocide? Why? How can you do business where there's human rights abuses to this extent right next door to what you're doing? How can you do business with people that are with people like the Chinese communists? And Disney ignored our outcry, which from a purely practical, purely business standpoint actually made sense because Disney, if it, if push came to shove, Disney would rather choose the Chinese market than the American market. They could, Disney can make more money in the Chinese market than they can in the American market because the Chinese economy in that sense, in the purely number number of consumers sense is bigger than the American market. And so while it didn't make sense from an ideological standpoint, from a moral standpoint, from an ethical standpoint, or from a standpoint of just domestic consumerism, meaning consumers here in the United States who cared about who cared about Disney doing business with the Chinese communists. From that standpoint, it didn't make sense. But from a global standpoint, it actually did make sense because Disney would rather do business with the Chinese communists than with us. That's, that's the same, actually, with Nike. So when Nike kowtowed, or the NBA, the NBA might even be a better example here, when the NBA kowtowed to the Chinese communist after Daryl Morey, part of the Houston Rockets, had made the comment about Hong Kong, people here in the United States, or LeBron James, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't touch this, when people here in the United States were like, hey, dude, what are you doing? These are Chinese communists torturing people, committing human rights abuses. How can you just brush that under the rug? How can you take their side? And from a business perspective, the NBA is like Disney. They'd actually rather have access to the Chinese market than to the American market. If they offend the Chinese communists, they'll get cut off from the Chinese market. So in a, in a very cold, hard dollars and cents kind of way, that behavior made sense. But what Disney is doing in Florida does not make this same kind of business sense. Because if you look at the polling, there was a new poll from the Parental Rights and Education, or no, it's about the Parental Rights and Education Law. It's from Public Opinion Strategies. This is what the poll found. 61% of people support the Parental Rights and Education Law. Only 26% oppose it. Even Democratic voters support the law by a margin of 55% compared to 29% who oppose it. Suburban voters support it 60% to 30%. Parents support it 67% to 24%. Biden voters, this one 
might even make you laugh. Biden voters support it 53% to 30%. And people responding to this poll who, quote, know someone LGBTQ still support the bill 61% to 28%. In other words, the vast, vast majority of the American public supports this anti-groomer bill, this parental rights and education bill that the left has falsely named the Don't Say Gay Bill. So the American public has made it very clear that they support this bill. So why then, why then is Disney opposing it? Well, Disney is not opposing it for the same reason that they ignored the Chinese Communist Party, because this is not a matter of their global opportunity or their global access to certain markets. This is a purely domestic issue. In fact, a lot of, of, a lot of countries where Disney does business um, are not only anti-gay culturally, homosexuality is illegal. In some countries where Disney is doing business, homosexuality is punishable by death. So it's certainly, it's certainly not a global, a global business decision right now, which changes the whole scope of our response. It changes how we as either consumers or hopefully former consumers of Disney respond to Disney opposing this, opposing this law. Because when it is purely ideological, they are doing this for woke reasons. They are doing this because they're radical leftists. They're doing it as I said, for ideology, not for business, that gives you and I as consumers a tremendous amount of power. We didn't have a lot of power when it came as consumers when it came to Disney's decision to kowtow to the Chinese communists because Disney doesn't, doesn't need us. They don't need us in their, in their global business strategy. But here, they need us because they don't have another economy to turn to if we say, nope, you know what? If you behave like this, we're, we're not gonna watch your movies. We're not gonna subscribe to Disney Plus. We're not gonna take our children to Disney World and Disneyland. We are not going to do Disney if you behave like this. They don't have an alternative to us. That gives us as a consumer tremendous power. It means I'm never gonna let my daughter watch a Disney movie. Maybe I wasn't to begin with, but I'm not going to do that. I'm never gonna go on a Disney cruise. I'm never gonna go to a Disney resort. I am going to boycott Disney because I, as a consumer in this specific situation, I have the power to make a difference. So do you. We have the power to make a difference in this specific situation because Disney is behaving based on ideological motivation, political motivation. They are not hedging their bets on a business decision the way that they were with the Chinese Communist Power or Party, which gives us, as the consumers, tremendous power tremendous power in this arena. And we ought to do this, by the way. I know a lot of people enjoy Disney. I know a lot of people enjoy the, the dining. I know a lot of people enjoy the cruises. I know a lot of people, this is a family tradition for a lot of people, in addition to a, little kids just enjoying Disney princesses. We have a moral responsibility, my friends, to protect our children from those who would seek to exploit our children, sexually exploit our children for their own political gain. This is, this is not just, this is not just snipping left versus right, right versus left. This is an existential battle for our nation that's being waged with our children. Are, are leftists going, are we going to allow leftists to separate parents from their children to give, to give, give away parental rights or take away parental rights and give children essentially to the state? The state where the state indoctrinates children in public schools through radical curriculums, radical sex ed curriculums, radical critical race theory curriculums to separate children from their parents and to create this permanent class or this permanent class of revolutionaries in this next generation. This is the battle that we're fighting.
This is a Marxist battle. This is an existential threat to our nation. It's our responsibility to fight back against those who would who would allow children to be the pawns in this game, not just allow it, but those who actively give power or refuse to stop the abuse of children. And when I talk about people refusing to stop the abuse of children, there are people in positions of power in our government, in our country, who have the power to put away child abusers in prison for a long time, and they choose not to. I'm talking about Katanji Brown-Jackson, and I, I... I think we need to talk as conservatives about the people in our party, conservatives, who refuse to condemn Katanji Brown-Jackson for being lenient on child sex predators. Now, if you've ever worried about losing your hair or about your hair thinning, then you've got to try Nutrafol. Nutrafol is a holistic solution for men that promotes both healthier hair and whole body wellness without drugs or prescriptions, Nutrafol is clinically shown to improve hair growth, thickness, and visible scalp coverage without compromise. And by the way, when I say without compromise, I mean it does not negatively impact your sex drive, which is reportedly, so I'm told, a common side effect with other hair growth products. Not so with Nutrafol. Nutrafol is made of 21 potent natural ingredients that support sex drive, better sleep, and less stress too. In a clinical study, men showed progressive improvement in hair growth and thickness after three and six months. You can grow thicker, healthier hair, and you can support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering my promo code, it's my name, always my name, L-I-Z, Liz, to save $15 off your first month's subscription. This is their best offer anywhere. It's only available to U.S. customers and for a limited time. Plus, you get free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, and use my promo code, promo code Liz, Nutrafol.com, promo code Liz. Okay, Tanji Brown-Jackson, I don't understand the people in our party who are claiming that her record when it comes to giving sentences where she had discretion, giving sentences, lenient sentences to child sex offenders, I don't understand the people that are backing away from this and pretending that it's not something. And I, I, I'm going to go ahead and name names here. I'm talking about um, National Review folks. I'm talking about Charlie Cook. I'm talking about Rich Lowry. I'm talking about... Um, Brad Palumbo as well. I don't understand how you can look at her record and compare her record. She had discretion in certain cases where she could choose how, how long to send these criminals to prison. And when I say criminals, these were people convicted of possession and or distribution of child pornography. This is the rape and t- sexual torture of little children, of toddlers. And they're viewing this or selling this or purchasing this for their own gratification and profit. You have a dis- you have discretion over how long to send them to prison and you choose the smallest amount of time possible, the, the shortest amount of time allowed by law. And then these conservatives are acting like, you know, this, this isn't a real thing. Of course it's a real thing. Of course it's a real thing. It blows my mind. It blows my mind that anyone could look at this this data, this record of Katanji Brown-Jackson and not think that this is not only problematic, because it is problematic, but actually evil, evil. There, Rachel Boulevard of the Federalist did an amazing analysis of these sentences issued by Katanji Brown-Jackson. And she compared the sentences where Katanji Brown-Jackson had discretion over how long of a sentence to give. She compared that with other judges in similar cases where the judges had discretion over how long of a sentence to give to 
people convicted of either possession or distribution of child pornography. So a one-to-one comparison to see, well, is Ketanji Brown-Jackson is the way that she's sentenced? Is this the norm? Because if it's the norm, then we certainly have a problem. We should address this, but maybe not something to, to attack her personally for, or her professionally for. Well, this is what Rachel Bovard found out. She said, quote, according to data from the Sentencing Commission, cross-referenced with Judge Jackson's sentencing in child pornography cases, on average, she imposed sentences that were 50%, 57% less than the national average for possession of child pornography. For distribution, her average sentence was 47% less than the national average. 57% less than average and 47% less than average. That's not a small margin of error. That's not a margin of error at all. This is completely out of step with what we accept as normal in our culture, in our legal system even. And yet we have the, do we care about kids or not? That's, that's what these conservatives need to ask themselves. Do you care about kids or not? Do, do you care about the children who are sexually abused in child pornography? Do you care about the child pornography industry? Do you want to protect children from abusers? Because if you do, then you have to sentence people who are convicted of this crime in a way that's not just a slap on the wrist. It doesn't just allow them to go back out and commit that crime again. It actually protects children from being exploited again. Remember, there's data that shows that those who consume and distribute child pornography are, at least half of them are actual contact offenders too, which means they sexually abuse children in real life. And even even if you quote unquote just consume pornography, your demand creates a situation where someone else abuses that child for your gratification. You are, you are part of that abuse. I don't care if you're in the room or not. You are part of that abuse. Do we care about kids or not? I mean, this is the question that we have to ask about Disney too. Do we care about kids or not? If we care about kids, then we cannot take part in a company that actively lobbies for children to be groomed by the state, groomed in radical sex ed, groomed in critical race theory. And by the way, by the way, I know the Senate is addressing Ketanji Brown-Jackson, the uh, addressing her nomination. They have not confirmed her yet. They're addressing her nomination again this week. And if you look at the different defenses by, or the, di- the, different, the different arguments from leftists as to why she should be confirmed, they're all abysmal. They're all abysmal. Whoopi Goldberg, by the way, always remember, AKA Karen Johnson, Whoopi Goldberg's real name is Karen Johnson. She claims that it's obvious that, it's obvious why Republicans are voting no. Take a listen to this. You know, this is the most ridiculous. Just say, I don't trust a black woman to do the job because I know that y'all didn't have these same issues with Amy Coney Barrett. You didn't ask those questions. You didn't have those problems. And when Amy Coney Barrett answered the same way that Judge Katani Brown did, when you asked her if you thought they were going to need more people on the Supreme Court, nobody seemed to have a problem with her answer. No. But so many of you have problems with, with Judge You know what? I know what this is. Yeah. We all know what it is. We know what it is. We recognize it. We're used to this. But you know what? You can't take away what this woman is and who she is and what she's done and how she got there. I mean, listening to her, we we know, first of all, that Ketanji Brown-Jackson was nominated by Joe Biden because she is Black and because she is a woman. This is not, this is not me drawing this conclusion. This is not inference. This is... 
Joe Biden admitting that that's why he nominated her. He said before he even chose her, he was looking for a black person and a woman. This is this is racial tokenism. This is this is sexism. This is reinstitutionalizing both racism and sexism. That's what equity is, by the way. Equity is discrimination. Um, and it's it's disgusting. It's messy. Joe Biden is taking us backwards in our country. Um, he's he's unraveling progress that we have made in in areas when it comes to sex, in areas when it comes to gender, in areas when it comes to the government, institutionalizing discrimination. It's it's horrible. So Whoopi Goldberg is being ridiculous. Anybody who believes her at this point, I don't I don't even know, by the way, if she believes this herself. If she believes this herself, she's dumber than I thought. If she just thinks that you will believe her, then I mean, that's insulting. She thinks that you are incredibly dumb. Also, regardless, even if you put aside Katanji Brown Jackson's leniency on child sex offenders, even if you put aside the fact that, you know, Joe Biden's in reinstitutionalizing racism and sexism, even if you put aside Katanji Brown Jackson's support while she was on the board of a private school, that school taught critical race theory, even if you put aside the fact that she's not a biologist, so Katanji Brown Jackson can't define the word woman for you, all of these mind-blowing disqualifiers, even if you put all of those aside, Katanji Brown Jackson answered more questions after her um, after her in-person hearing, she answered more questions from the Senate, from senators um, on paper. And in one question, she actually answered, this was her, this was her answer. And I want to show this on the screen because it's totally nuts. This is so insane that anyone who could sit on the Supreme Court would say this. This is what she said, quote, I do not hold a position on whether individuals possess natural rights. I'm going to read that again. I do not hold a position on whether individuals possess natural rights. Of all her positions, even if you're a radical leftist, this is a, a disqualifier of the highest degree. This is the foundation of the Declaration of Independence that we have unalienable rights, God-given rights that cannot be violated by a government. That is what, that's what, that's the definition of natural rights. That's what our constitution is built on. The premise of our entire nation is that we had a right to revolution. We had a right to break away from the British crown because when government is violating your natural rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, then you have a right and a responsibility to, you know, throw off such governments and, um, establish a new form of government, natural rights. I mean, I do not hold a position, she said, on whether individuals possess natural rights. How could you possibly sit on the judiciary, on the Supreme Court, and be an arbiter of our constitution, essentially, an arbiter of whether our laws violate the constitution, which codifies at the highest level that our natural rights exist? How can you be an arbiter of law when you don't even acknowledge that we have natural rights. I mean, this should disqualify her. Susan Collins especially announced last week that she would vote in favor of Ketanji Brown Jackson. Susan Collins, Senator, if you see this, you, you must react to the people. You must answer to your constituents on how you could vote for someone for Supreme Court when they say they do not hold a position on whether individuals possess natural rights. Because Senator, I know that you disagree with this position. And this, this renders Ketanji Brown Jackson incapable, incapable of serving on the highest court of, the, of our land. Um, again, the question really comes back to, do you care about children? Do we as a society care about children? Are we willing to fight for children or are we going to relinquish them? I'm reading through the Old Testament right now and there's references constantly in the Old Testament to the Canaanite god Moloch. This is a god to which the Canaanites sacrifice their children, child sacrifice. And 
I keep watching what's unfolding in our nation right now. I keep thinking of that. I keep thinking, my goodness, we are one step away from our children serving our children onto the altar of the Canaanite god Moloch. We are actually sacrificing our children for or allowing our children to be sacrificed to the radical leftist ideology. It's it's horrifying. It's horrifying. So the trans flag has become a thing. As you know, it's baby blue, baby pink, and white. And when we're talking about protecting our children, there was a Twitter thread that I read today that I thought exposes the transgender ideology in a way that it has not been exposed before. Now, when I ran for cross-training in high school, I was a swimmer in high school, and I, I we ran every day. I had the worst plantar fasciitis. I wish back then that I'd had a Soul footbed. Soul is a sustainable orthopedic footwear company that seeks to enhance your mobility, improve your foot health by building shoes from the inside out. Did you know that 85% of the population has one or more foot-related ailments? So you're not alone. I wasn't alone. You know, it might be plantar fasciitis or Morton's neuroma, shin splints, a lot of these admittedly unsexy ailments, they can be helped with a footbed. So what is a footbed? Well, Soul defines their signature footbed as a great place to rest your soul. I like Soul because it's affordable, it's customizable, and it improves people's everyday foot comfort. Millions of customers rave about this product, and two-thirds of Soul customers have two or more pairs of footbeds. Soul has an amazing offer for first-time customers, 50% off. If you use my URL, it is yoursoul.com slash Liz. You can try Soul for yourself. They are so confident that you are going to love their products that they offer a 90-day money-back guarantee. It's very hard to go wrong with that. This offer applies to all items on the Soul store, be it footbeds or footwear. Just go to yoursoul.com slash Liz. Your S-O-L-E dot com slash Liz. Okay, so this Twitter thread exposes the transgender flag in a way that I think speaks to the entire transgender ideology. It's not about tolerance. It's not about mental health care. It's not about authenticity. It's not about equal rights. Nothing. This is this is the tweet thread. It's from a, a username, Women Read Women, Women's Voices. It promotes women's voices. This is what it says. The creator of the trans flag, Robert Hoagie, pictured on the right, who goes by Monica Helms, used to steal their mother's underwear, then moved on to stealing random women's underwear for sexual reasons and has written a story about an adult man marrying a teen girl who doesn't age. So yes, you can see the spoiler already that the transgender agenda, especially as it relates to children, is steeped in pedophilia. Monica Helms designed the first trans pride flag in 1999. In his memoir, More Than Just a Flag, he writes, I'm both man and woman, neither a man nor a woman, and sometimes both at the same time. I believe I'm enlightened. My brain floats between multiple worlds. Yeah, and gender dysphoria and transgender isn't a mental illness, they tell us. Helms describes stealing underwear using the term the girl in the shadows to refer to themselves in third person. Quote, I found several of my mother's cotton panties and bras. The girl in the shadows wanted to try them on. When I did, they felt exciting to wear. So incestuous and mentally ill. The thread goes on. While serving in the U.S. Navy during the 1970s, Helms began stealing women's underwears from the laundry room. A lace bra rolled up. I became transfixed. I no longer obsessed about losing my virginity. I sensed a growing desire to dress as a woman. I walked up to the dryer, popped open the door, grabbed the bra. I'd just stolen a bra from a dryer. More than that, I enjoyed wearing it. Was I a pervert? <laughs> yes, you were. Just let me interrupt the thread for a minute. I didn't know, he said. I, it felt exciting. 
He then began to buy women's clothing, clothing to satisfy a fetish. The feelings I had dressed as a woman ran the gamut of human emotions. Sexual excitement topped the list of what came over me while wearing women's clothing. So continued to cross-dress this individual, continued to cross-dress. It ruined this uh, man's marriage. And then Helms began to transition. You can see this picture. This is a, a grisly picture, if you will. Helms' fetish eventually motivated uh, his wife to divorce him or motivated him to pursue it full-time without his wife's complaints. And after the divorce was finalized, this individual, Helms, began to frequent sex clubs. So this is steeped in serious mental illness. This was, this was, began is incestuous. And Helms authored short stories, thread reads, with sexual themes, including forced feminization, age regression. Age regression. What is age regression? In one story, a man's wife dies after rejecting his cross-dressing fetish, and then the man steals her identity, wearing her clothing to clubs to have sex, even using her names. One story in particular, in particular sexualizes a child who is described as a witch who doesn't age. An adult man marries her, and their daughter has the father's features, but her mother's magical powers. Um, okay. This is getting into really, remember, this is the, this is the person who invented the transgender flag. The, every time you see that flag with the blue stripe, the pink stripe, the white stripe, you remember the person who invented this flag was involved in sex, had pedophilia, fetishes at the very least, very disturbed individual, very disturbed individual. And then this thread goes on to say, Helms designed the transgender pride flag in 1999 and has claimed the baby blue, pink, and white colors were, quote, divine intervention, but this color scheme is seen in symbols found on pro-pedophile sites. The code predates the flag and has been used in areas of child sex trafficking. Modern pro-pedophilia organizations have used the color scheme synonymous with the transgender flag. This context predates the flag's design. Towns on the Czech border with Germany advertise child sex. Blue curtains mean a male child and pink curtains mean a girl. Right? This, I mean, this is, this is crazy, creepy stuff. So when the left says tolerance, when the left says it's about mental health, we don't want transgender kids to be bullied, which nobody does. When the, when the left says this is about inclusion and equal rights, no, no. This has a much deeper, a much darker turn than this. The man who invented the transgender flag not only transitioned himself, but did so after really disgusting sexual excitement over his mother's underwear and bra. He was a thief who stole women's underwear from the dryer. He wrote stories about fetishizing and fantasizing little children, which is pedophilia, used a color scheme known to be correlated to the pedophilia lobby, the pedophilia, um, the pedophilia, I don't know, ideology, whatever you want to call it, this gruesome, disgusting, grisly evil. This, this is the, this is the man who invented the transgender flag. And then you go on, this thread goes on. I don't want to read it all. I'll post it on my locals at lizwheelershow.com slash locals. It'll be available for free for anybody who wants to read it. Goes on to talk about um, individuals in psychology and psychiatry who actually validate the idea that fantasizing about sexual acts with children doesn't make you a pedophile. And if you do that, it doesn't make you bad. It absolutely most certainly does. The transgender ideology is steeped in a really creepy pedophilia ideology. We see this in, we see this in schools in, that's why we need the anti-groomer bill because children are being groomed for sexual abuse. In fact, again, it's not about tolerance of transgender people. It's not even about equality. It's not about mental health care. In fact, in, in, in Florida, this phrase that's used to 
describe the anti-groomer bill, this don't say gay phrase, this is a brilliant marketing strategy, but it's not a phrase that just happened. It's not even something that the left got together and said, oh, hey, let's, let's, you know, CNN came up with this and said, let's use this phrase. No, no, this wasn't even something that went organically viral on Twitter. This was a, a specific, particular, intentional usage of this phrase that came from an organization who stands to profit from grooming children. I, I did an emergency episode of my show this weekend. It, it's released on Locals. It's, avail it's available for free. Anybody who wants to watch it can just go to lizwheelershow.com slash Locals. And I did an emergency episode to talk about the money behind this narrative or this phrase. So what's happening in Florida right now, we've all been following along with this. There's this parental rights and education bill that was just signed into law by Governor Ron DeSantis, it uh, prohibits teachers from facilitating classroom discussions about sexual orientation and gender identity for kindergartners, first graders, second graders, and third graders. It prohibits school administrators and teachers from hiding from parents if their minor children are transitioning genders in the classroom. That's it. That's, that's all it does. Now, the left has named this bill the Don't Say Gay Bill, and the narrative goes, I mean, and this is, this is what Hollywood celebrities at the Oscars were echoing, they were parroting. Um, the narrative goes that this, this illegalizes or prohibits people, meaning students or teachers or anybody, from saying the word gay in the state of Florida, let alone in public schools. Now, this is, this is obviously false. You can read the text of the legislation itself. It's not a long bill. It's, it's three pages max. And it, it, it says that nowhere. And, and the left, by the way, uh, now, I don't know about the celebrities at the Oscars. Maybe Amy Schumer herself is too dumb to know the truth. But the politicos, the people on CNN and MSNBC and the blue check marks on Twitter, they actually are not dumb. They are strategic. They know that this bill does not ban mention of the word gay. Even David Hogg. Do you remember David Hogg? He was uh, the Parkland kid who became a radical leftist activist. He was in charge of March, the March for Our Lives, which was an anti-gun um, an anti-gun, pro-gun control, gun-grabbing organization. Even he, he's a blue checkmark liberal on Twitter now, he even admits that this bill does not prohibit the word gay. He, he, he made a Twitter thread about it, and he goes, hey, Republicans, before you don't read this thread and just reply with talking points, consider reading it. He goes, yes, I read the bill. It says, and I quote, classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur in kindergarten through grade three or in a manner that is not age appropriate. So, as I said, even these leftists are aware of the fact that the phrase don't say gay and the narrative that says that this bill prohibits, or this law, it's a law now, that this law prohibits the word gay in classrooms. It's, it's just a complete lie. It's BS. Um, so here's the interesting thing, thing though. This, this phrase don't say gay is actually a brilliant marketing tactic because it does lend itself to these kind of tweets or this kind of hyperbole where people, even, even, even Christians, even people against gay marriage, even people that don't want their children taught about sexual orientation or gender identity think, oh, wow, that's, that's harsh. If you're not even allowed to say the word gay, that doesn't, that doesn't seem right. Something seems wrong about that. So it's a brilliant marketing tactic um, used by the left to try to trick people, trick Americans, both Democrats and Republicans, voters, into opposing this bill because that's what the left wants people to do. They want people to oppose this bill. So this wasn't a coincidence. This is what I found, that, that this phrase, don't say gay, was not coined by CNN. It was not something that someone happened to say to someone else and it organically caught fire on Twitter and soon the rest of us were saying it as well. No, no, this was a deliberate effort from an organization who really, really needs this bill not to become law in order to protect their own profit. And the organization that I'm talking about is none other than Planned Parenthood. Again, you can see the whole, the whole episode at lizwheelershow.com slash locals. It's free for anybody. 
Um, you can just click on over there and watch the whole thing. But it all comes back to the question, do we care about our children or not? Are we willing to protect our children or not? Or are we going to be dismissive? Are we going to say, well, it's about tolerance. It's about equality. It's about mental health. It's, you know, we shouldn't stop Katanji Brown Jackson because her, her, her leniency on child sex predators isn't a thing. It's just normal. It is not normal. What is happening to our children in this country right now is not normal. They are being used as pawns. They are being abused and groomed for abuse. They are trying, the left is trying to separate children from their parents. They're twisting right and wrong. They're destroying objective truth. And our children are this final frontier be, be, before these Marxists actually take over our country. The last piece of the puzzle is to peel children away from their parents, to create this new generation of permanent revolutionaries. And this is what the left is doing. All that's left for us to do to stop this is to ask the question, do we care about children or not? And if the answer to that is yes, and it is, we care about our children, then we have to hold these folks accountable. We have to boycott Disney. We have to pressure senators who would vote for a Supreme Court nominee who is lenient on child sex predators. We have to say no to the radical leftist ideology, the transgender ideology that is steeped in not only the rejection of objective truth, but steeped in child abuse and pedophilia. Thank you for watching today. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figueroa. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Director of marketing, Emily Washler. Production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler. And senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.